<clears throat> we want to continue our lessons um, and worship and a wonderful sermon that was given to us this morning, was it not, on what worship is, exhorted us in many ways. And saints, I want you to know that <clears throat> Pastor Antonio and I um, are not merely trying to give you facts about worship, which we are, but at the same time, stirring the heart, stirring your will to love worship. Um, so <clears throat> the more you know, or rather, you don't, you can't love what you don't know. Um, you can't love something more if you don't know more of that thing. So <clears throat> this afternoon, saints, we want to consider another aspect of worship, and that is the necessity of public worship, the necessity of public worship. In the last few years, <clears throat> public worship has come under attack, uh, specifically the necessity of public worship. Do I need to go to church or not? Is it enough for me to say that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but not go to church? And when I mean go to church, not merely just go to church and not join the local church, but join the local church, uniting myself with a, with a visible body. So if I was out of town, um, can I skip the Lord's Day? Or do I try to find a church out there and worship uh, amongst the saints or with the saints? Again, the necessity of public worship has been under attack. From the various times one can choose to go to church, as remember we touched on that last Sunday morning, you have churches now that will start or that have four services in the morning, uh, eight, uh, nine, an 11, and sometimes one o'clock service. Uh, and if you remember, saints, what that does for a corporate body is it breaks it up into little pieces. So where now you don't have one congregation, but you have three or four congregations. It, it, it causes more uh, disunity than unity. From the various times uh, that one can go to church to um, only partaking a Lord's Supper once a year or once a quarter to churches uh, that now are being live streamed, church services that are now being live streamed. So I don't need to be physically there at a worship service, but I can catch it in my bed, in my jammies, while I'm eating my toast, on the live stream. Um, or if I miss service, it's okay because I can catch it on the podcast <clears throat> to the world. The world creating religions and gatherings that people must attend to. You must go to a Super Bowl party on uh, on... And liturgically speaking, like it's fine that the church has done this, although we don't follow a liturgical calendar on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, which is now more so you know, hiding eggs. Um, and we, we, have, we have to make sure that we do that for the kids uh, to concerts, to award shows. I mean, if you think that, if you consider all the things that are done on a Sunday uh, that the world imposes on us that we must attend to. <clears throat> so, saints, we want to consider the necessity of public worship, which is four easy points. Number one, God takes delight in public worship. God takes delight in public worship. The Reformed have categorized worship into three categories. There is first, secret or private worship. Secret or private worship, that is that worship that you do when you're at home, um, isolated from all others, 
That is the reading, that is the praying. So that's pub, uh, private or secret worship. Then there is family worship. That is the worship that you do with your family. Um, you might catechize your child. You might read or sing psalms or spiritual songs with your family. And then there is corporate or public worship. And saints, it's this third category of worship that God takes most delight in. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves when in your spare time you are reading and praying to him. And God especially loves when the families are gathered together to sing and to read uh, the word of God. But God most especially loves corporate public worship. That is to say, the Lord God takes most pleasure in the gathering of the saints on his holy day. And we see this in scripture. We see this in scripture. Consider with me Psalm 87. Psalm 87. Verse 1 and 2 say this. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Again, his foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all other dwelling places of Jacob. Here we have a beautiful text that most explicitly describes to us how much God loves when his people gather together. Verse 1 again reads, his foundation is in the holy mountains. What does this mean? Well, think of Jerusalem, saints. Uh, Jerusalem and, and the things that are surrounding Jerusalem. If you were to look at a map, you would see that Jerusalem is surrounded by hills. It's surrounded by mountains. And we see in scripture that on these hills, on these mountains, God chose to specifically dwell. You can think of Mount Zion. You can think of Mount Moriah. You can think of various mountains where God's presence was uniquely there on earth. These are the places we read where God uniquely dwelled. But notice what the next verse says. It says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all other dwelling places of Jacob. Now, what does the gates of Zion mean? Well, there's a bit of poetry and metaphorical language being used, but simply put, the gates of the city were places of entrance. We we know that because there's a gate right outside of us. Uh, for the gate to for us to get inside here, the gates must open. And in this time, when the gates opened, what happened then? The people get to conduct business. The, the courts uh, were handled and had. The people would crowd the gates, awaiting entrance into the city, so that they could conduct business. So you could think of. And there was a, a couple of weeks ago when the gates wouldn't even open. And uh, we all were waiting for the gates to open. You could kind of think of it that way in this time. The gates are, are um, rather the people are awaiting for the gates to be open. And saints, that is the scene that is being likened to the people of God who crowd the gates awaiting entrance to worship their Lord. Just as the people wait in front of the gates, for the gates to open up so they can conduct business. The saints of God wait by the gates of the church so that they can come in and worship God together. And this congregation, God takes great delight in. The gates of Zion and us waiting for the church to be open so that we can come in and worship God. John Gill uh, explains wonderfully, he says, he loves her gates. 
the public ordinances, which means the sacraments. He loves baptism. He loves the Lord's Supper when administered rightly. He loves them that come to the gates of Zion and wait and worship there and who enter in and become members thereof. He loves what is done there. He being publicly prayed unto and publicly praised by a large number of his people where his word is faithfully preached and attended to and his ordinances truly administered and the graces of his saints exercised on him. Wherefore, because all of this is done socially in a public manner and so much for the manifestation glory, he esteems these. God esteems faithfully preach, faithful preaching. He esteems when the, when the, when the sacraments are administered rightly. He esteems saints when you come ready to worship him. He greatly delights that. In other words, saints, God loves public worship. God looks down with more pleasure those that crowd the gates of the church in order to worship him more than any other scene in the land. And notice, saints, that this gathering of the saints, God finds more superior then than other gathering of the saints. Verse 3 makes this clear. More than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. More than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Saints, if you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, You are a descendant of Jacob. You are the rightful heir to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You are from that lineage. You have done the works of Abraham. You believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You are, saint, the people of God. And the Lord loves when two or three or four of his of his people, of brothers and sisters of Christ, uh, go off somewhere, maybe to a home or to Starbucks or whatever, and meet together and to have fellowship. God loves that. The Lord loves when families gather together to pray, to sing songs, to read scripture. The Lord loves that. The Lord loves when one goes out and to preach the gospel. The Lord loves that. The Lord loves those private times when we offer prayers and we meditate on his word. He greatly delights in that. But yet, congregation... The Lord has superior pleasure, superior pleasure when multitude of believers assemble in one place to worship him. Again, more than all the other gatherings from the descendants of Jacob. One may say, well, why must I always gather with the saints when they assemble? Well, saints, apart from it being a command of God, why do we gather? Because God loves when his saints gather together to offer him worship that is why in congregation if we want to take delight in the lord then we must take delight in the things that greatly delight him again if we want to take delight in the lord then we must take delight in the things that truly delight him if we want to be those ones of isaiah 58 who take great delight in the lord then we must do what isaiah 58 says If because of my Sabbath you restrain your foot from doing as you wish on my holy day and call the Sabbath a pleasure and the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it. As it was said this morning, us highly esteeming the name of God, waking up and not merely outwardly putting our best, but also inwardly, our minds, our wills, our attitude, When we come to public worship, to corporate worship, 
Do we see this day as a holy and a delight day? And saints, on the authority of God's word and God's word alone, if you take delight on the Sabbath day, you will take delight in the Lord. You will take delight in God. If you see this day as honorable. Secondly, saints, public worship is necessary for it amends the work of God. Public worship is necessary because it amends the work of God. Saints of God, when we consider public worship, we must see it as a chance to publicly celebrate what God has done for us in salvation. Again, when we gather together for public worship, we must see it as an opportunity to celebrate what God has done in salvation. Friends, the Bible is filled with this beautiful scene where God's people will amen the glorious works of God in salvation. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. And I will sow her as my own in the land. I will have compassion on no compassion. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. There's a conversation that happens there, saints. That God says to those who are far off, I have brought you near to me. Ones who I did not have compassion on, I have compassion on now. God will say, you are my people, and we will say back to him, you are my God. Jeremiah 30, verse 22, the Lord declares, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. First Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Saints of God, each and every Lord's Day, what was declared in Jeremiah, you shall be my people and I will be your God. What was preached by Peter, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Each Sunday is visibly on display. Now, have you ever considered that, saints? That on this holy Sabbath day, the words of Hosea chapter 2 verse 23 is best seen. Our God meets with his people and he says to us, you are my people. And we reply back to him in song, in the hearing of the preached word, in the sacraments, in fellowship, in prayer. And you are my God. And public worship saints, the work of our triune God and salvation is fully on display, is it not? Saints, look around. If you would, for a moment, look around and look look in front of you, look behind you, look to the right of you, look to the left of you. Look what the triune God God has done in the incarnate Christ. This is what he has done. No, saints, we don't have pictures or even a video of when our Christ was here on earth. And wouldn't it be lovely if we did? Wouldn't it be lovely if we had maybe a five-second clip of Christ walking along uh, 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 um, in Jerusalem? Wouldn't it be lovely to, to have a, a video or a picture of the, to see what our Christ looked like? Him living here on earth. To see his bloody death by crucifixion. To see his bodily resurrection or even his glorious ascension to heaven. I'm sure many of us would just love just a sneak peek of what our Christ looked like and what he was doing as he worked out our salvation for us. But saints of God, let me tell you, 
I have or what we have before us visibly is far more glorious. What you see before you to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back, what you see is far more glorious than a five second clip of our Christ when he was here on earth. Now, why do I say that? Because, saints, what we have before us each and every Lord's Day is we have the finished work of Christ. We have the finished work of Jesus Christ before us. We may not have a video of the death of Christ, but we see each and every Sunday who Christ died for. We may not have a picture of our Christ. We may not have a five-second clip of our Christ when he was on earth living for us, dying for us, but we do have saints. We have the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, where do we see that at? Saints, once again, look to the left. Look to the right. Look behind you. Look in front of you. You are the finished work of Jesus Christ. If there's any notion that Christ failed in his salvation, again, saints, look to the left of you. Look to the right of you. And congregation, each and every Sunday, what we have is we have a room filled of the finished work of Jesus Christ. A room filled of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are a testimony that what Christ did for us over 2,000 years ago was not done in vain, but that his blood was efficacious, that his obedience to the law of God was right and true, that his resurrection was real. And saints, this just stirred within us great joy for public worship, that I get to amen just my, my mere appearance and presence in corporate worship. I'm amening what happened for me over 2,000 years ago on Christ's cross. Saints, again, this should stir up great joy for public worship. Thoroughly, public worship is necessary because it heightens our gratitude. Saints, do you give gratitude to God? Well, of course, many of you do. Uh, before bed, you might give gratitude to God, thanking him for giving you another day. Before a meal, thanking him for giving to you a, a meal to eat um, throughout the day or even before uh, uh, you arise and go to work, you're thanking God. But saints, we ought to add public worship to the list. Public worship to the list. We thank God, yes, for the food, for sleep, for waking us up. But saints, we ought to add public worship to the time by which we can give gratitude to God. For in public worship, we are to be most grateful that God saved us. In public worship, we are to be most grateful that God saved us. The psalmist says in Psalm 89, I will sing of the graciousness of the Lord forever. Forever. And congregation, this day, more than any other day, we get to sing. We get to hear. We get to contemplate on God's graciousness toward us. Without distraction. And saints, what are we most grateful for? Well, yes, we can say we are grateful for God sending forth his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem man in the flesh. For sending his spirit to unite us to the son. We can say amen to that. But saints, have you ever thought of how much greater public worship is in the New Testament compared to the old? Have you ever considered how much better you have it? than one who was an Israelite living when the temple was, was, was up. How much greater you have it 
Remember saints in the sanctuary of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, God's presence shined its brightest on earth. In fact, where God dwelled in the innermost parts of the temple was so holy that even the priests were scared to enter. The priests were scared to go behind the veil. In fact, a rope would be tied around the, pee, uh, the priest and a bell. So just in case God struck that priest down, the ones would have to, would hear that bell and pull the priest out. They were so terrified of the presence of God. But do you remember, saints, that only the priests could enter into the Holy of Holies? It was only the priests that can go behind the veil. It would be similar to all of you waiting in your car or maybe even outside. And only Pastor Antonio or even myself can enter into the sanctuary. And then we come out and we give you the ironic blessing. Congregation, it was only the priests. The people had no access to the presence of God. But saints, that is not how we experience the presence of God at public worship now. And I say, saint, amen to that. There is no longer a veil that keeps us from entering God's presence. But what does Matthew 27 through 50 through 51 tell us? When Jesus had cried out loud in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn. It's from top to bottom. Our Christ breaks down the barrier between us and God. And saints, at public worship, it is not only the elders that have public access to God's presence. It is not the deacons only that have access to God's presence. But saints, what does Hebrews 10, 19 tell us? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, saints, you, you, you yourself, you have access to God. You have access to the presence of God. Saints, you do not need a priest necessarily there, but you yourself, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. And congregation, how grateful should we be that each Sabbath day we get to come boldly into the presence of God. Saints, where else in the world can we do that? Where else can in the world, other than the public worship of the saints, can we come boldly? <clears throat> we talked about Disneyland this morning. I am scared of Disneyland rides. I am terrified of amusement park things. Uh, when we go eat somewhere and they give us a lot of food, I'm kind of terrified of what the food will do to me. But saints, I am not terrified coming to a corporate worship service. <clears throat> Saints, there is no other place where we can come boldly <laughs> into the presence of God other than corporate worship. This is why, Saints, public worship is necessary. Public worship is necessary. Why? Because you can't do what you do here anywhere else. In fact, I will go on to say, and we're going to touch upon this in the next points, you aren't meant to do the things you do here anywhere else. 
Let's consider this last point, and that is public worship is necessary for the Christian spiritual journey. Public worship is necessary for the Christian spiritual journey. Are you a hurting Christian? Are you a Christian that continually has a thorn in your side? Are you a Christian that you say to yourself, I am not all of who God wants me to be. Saints, the Christian life is not an isolated life. We weren't saved in order for us to live as a lone ranger, just us on our own horse, by ourselves. But as Pastor Antonio has said many times, we are to come side by side, holding hands, running this race together. In fact, I would even say, God has not commanded He has not commanded that we live life isolated from other Christians. But he's commanded for us to visibly join the local church and not just be a number on the list, not just be a name in the list rather, but but unite yourself into the regular rhythm of other people's lives and invite them into your, your life as well. That is what God has commanded for us to do. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion, but rather, saints, is a corporate one. Christianity is a corporate religion. Consider the words of Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. Saints, how can you encourage one another? Simply put, by coming to public and corporate worship. In fact, saints, we can say, yes, the primary aim for public worship, and I was said this morning, the primary or the terminus aim for our lives is to worship God. But saints, we can also say in a very secondary sense, it's also for us to encourage one another. Encourage one another. You know how encourage, I wish this brother was here. I hope he hears this. And if you have, if you can relay this message to him, I will. How encouraging is it when we see Ralph come in? Knowing all the things that he's going through. Barely coming in. And all of us, even, I mean, even now we have all of our joints to the certain, to a certain extent and all of our limbs together. But Ralph is barely making it. How an encouragement is that when we see this brother who's hanging on a thread and many of us, we still have our, our fully, uh, our fully, our threads all together intact. Ralph is an encouragement for us to come to public worship. Even, uh, I hope he doesn't get embarrassed. Even my brother Tony asking for, uh, for weeks and months for his boss to just let me have one day off. He could have had Friday off, Saturday off, Monday off, Wednesday off. He wants Sunday off so he can worship with the saints. How encouraging is that for us? That this man wants to be here, not only to worship Christ, but he wants to see us. He wants to fellowship with us. And we could go down the list and talk about all these other uh, things in your life, right? And how much of encouragement it is for us just to see Man, I, I can't wait to see Dustin here. I cannot wait to see Lily. I cannot wait to see Anthony. I cannot wait to see this person, this person, because their mere presence keeps me going. Knowing that they're still in the fight, I can still be in the fight. I can still be in the race. Let me say also, saints, that 
There are things that we do in public worship that's only meant for public worship. You can't have the Lord's Supper at home. And God rebuke those who have the Lord's Supper at home. You cannot have the Lord's Supper at home. In fact, saints, the, the word itself, or there's many words for the Lord's Supper, but even the word itself, communion. You can't have communion by yourself. Although you're communion with Christ at the, top, at the Supper, you're also very rarely communing with one another. And you can't do that at home. But also, let me lastly say, saints, the preached word. The preached word. The preached word is only to be heard the way the preached word is intended to be heard in corporate and public worship. One may say, I don't need to hear, I don't need to hear the preached word every Sunday. I got sermon audio. I got YouTube. I can just pull up any sermon, my favorite sermon from my favorite preacher, and there I go. I got preaching there. And yes, saints, you will be hearing preaching, but not in the way that it's to be heard in public worship. You see, saints, public worship, or rather the hearing of the preached word, when you hear the preached word, is worship. The hearing of the preached word itself. What you are doing right now, saints, you're, this is not devoid of worship where I'm the only one giving worship, but you're giving worship as well. We'll talk about this, but you're listening is worship to God. But also, saints, I'm preaching to you a sermon that I have thought about for, for a week, thinking of names, thinking of you, and having your faces at the back of my mind when I'm trying to execute a text, thinking that, will this apply to them? Am I overstepping my boundaries when I say this? So although I'm giving God worship, but I'm also trying to stir your hearts up. I'm trying to lead you to green pastures. This is why, saints, what Pastor Antonio and I do every Sunday, this is our main form of shepherding. This is our main form of shepherding. Us giving to you the Word of God, declaring the good news of Christ, breaking down, opening up the Scriptures. Saints, when the word of God goes forth, the word of God is being preached to you, you alone. And lastly, let me say, saints, that preaching is an intimate time with God. Preaching is an intimate time with God. It's not just merely you hearing a man preach for 45 minutes, but it is Christ speaking to you. That's what preaching is. It's one of the most intimate, if not the most intimate time that you have with God. Where God speaks to you. So saints, there is much more we can say concerning the necessity of public worship. But I will say, saints, that let us now ask the Lord to help us. Let's ask the Lord to continue to stir up our, our wills, inflame our hearts, heighten our intellect to know so that we can love public worship and see it as a necessity. That there is nothing I can do on Sunday other than worship God. Let's pray.